Hello, my friends, and uh, welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and uh, we're still, uh, uh, we're almost done with the first week of um, of Christmas um, today. Uh, so we're going to continue, try to catch up on some of the readings. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it simple. Let's just start off with... Um, Okay, well, let's just start off with the um, the opening uh, prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fall, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Okay, and we'll go to the uh, Gloria. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. All right. So, um, it's amazing how a week can go by fast, right? You know, um, season can fly by so easily. Um, all right. So, we're going to go right into the... Um, to the readings here. I'm going to combine some readings. Uh, all right. This is from the first letter of John, of St. John, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. A reading from the beginning of the letter of St. John. Beloved, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life for the life was made visible we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life that was with the father and was made visible to us what we have seen and heard we proclaim now to you so that you too may have fellowship with us for our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ, we are writing this so that our joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's reading, uh, the reading for today, for this one is uh, December 27th, uh, St. John, the, Apo uh, the Apostle and Evangelist. Now, this reading here, his the the letter sounds a lot like the beginning of the gospel of saint john because it's showing you here it's the same author the style the the, the intertwining of the words how to express it how to 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 get the attention of the reader it, it, you know it, it's just pretty much a genius way of writing and definitely inspired it, what is he trying to do here? He's, he's basically revealing to us, 
telling us the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of the second person of the Trinity, the only begotten Son of the Father, the Word of God, the divine Logos, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. All right, what we have, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, they've heard the Word of God, they heard the revelation of God, God speaking to us. They heard God with their own ears. He heard them, the, all the 12 heard him. What we have seen with our eyes, they've seen God in the flesh with their own eyes. They've seen him. What we have looked upon, they looked on the face of God as a man and touched with our hands. They touched him. They ate with him. They they walked with him for three years and they've seen him. John himself especially saw what happened to him, witnessed his passion, saw the nails go through his flesh, saw him hang on the cross. He stood there and held his mother in his arms. The Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of God in his arms. He saw him suffer and agonize on the cross. He witnessed him give up his last words, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He saw the, the spear pierce his side. Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, the Theotokos, the mother of God, she gave birth to him. Nobody loved him the way she did. Nobody knew him the way she did. And she held him in her arms as a baby. She held him in her arms as he grew up. She held him. She held his hand. She breastfed him. She, she changed his diapers. She washed his body. She, she watched the body of God. She held the body of God in her womb. She breastfed God. Her and Joseph watched him grow up. And she held his broken body in her arms when he was taken down from the cross. She washed his body. She wrapped him up in in the, in the shroud and laid him in the tomb. And John was there. And John and everybody saw him when he appeared in the upper room alive again. <clears throat> Go continue. Touch with our hands concerning the word of life. For the life was made visible. We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim it to you, the eternal life that was with the Father and was made visible to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim now to you so that you too may have fellowship with him. For our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing this so that our joy may be complete. <clears throat> Our response is to accept it, believe it, embrace it in our hearts, and in response we, we give our yes. We believe and we then we willingly give our yes. That is faith. That is a sign of faith because we believe it. We believe it because it is the word of God. Because it's true. We believe it in our hearts. We ask God to, to give us that grace. When he gives us that grace, it's supernatural faith. It's supernatural faith. It's not just mere human faith. Because, we are, because what we receive, we receive the word of God, revelation. 
we accept it and believe it and we make it part of ourselves. We say yes because we know it's true because it comes from God and it's God's own guarantee to us. It is his own gift to us. He revealed this to us. We believe that Jesus Christ is our salvation. We believe that he is the only begotten son of the father. We believe that he is our savior. We admit that we need his word and we need, we need him in our life. So this is the sign of faith. This is, this is our belief because we receive it and we believe it and we accept it. All right, let's, uh, let's move on from there. All right, so I'm going to go straight to the gospel. All right, I'm going to go straight to the gospel. Um, John, it's a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John chapter 20, uh, from verse 1, 2 and 8. Alleluia, alleluia. We praise you, O God. We acclaim you as Lord. The glorious company of apostles praise you. Alleluia, alleluia. It's from uh, Te Deum. Okay. The other disciples ran after, ran, the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Amen. Praise to you, Lord. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and told them they have taken the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went down, He went into the tomb and saw the burial cloth there and the cloth that had covered his head and not, without, not, with, uh, not with the burial cloth, but rolled up in a separate place. And then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first and he saw and believed. Okay, so... We got here a scene of the resurrection. It's the day of uh, St. John, the, the apostle, the evangelist, who wrote the fourth gospel, uh, who was one of Jesus' first um, earliest um, disciples called um, Simon, uh, Simon uh, Barjona and Andrew both of them son of Jonah. And then um, the second one was James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were both from Capernaum. Both all, uh, they were all fishermen. That was their trade. Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And now as Catholics, we believe that she remained a virgin before and after she gave birth to him and then she did not have more children this is something that's a, a, a that many of our protestant uh friends uh do not understand and do not believe they have a problem with this they don't understand this because they really don't put much thought to the mother of jesus they're very uh indifferent to her i will say this now <clears throat> Well, why am I bringing this up? Because Jesus was laid in a tomb. His burial was a place carved out, which no other body has been laid in. Technically, it's a virgin tomb. All right. In many ways, his death was foreshadowed at his birth. All right. He was conceived in the womb of a virgin, born, and we, we as Catholics, as well as the Orthodox Christians believe, she remained a virgin because she, she is the new Eve. Now, in Bethlehem, he was 
born in a manger. Technically, we see images. It doesn't say anything in the Gospels about the animals, the ox, or the, the donkey, or the lamb, or the goat, or anything like that. It doesn't say, it doesn't mention the animals. But let's say this it's an image of Eden. It's the image of the Garden of Eden and kind of a, a kind of kind of a picture of the Ark of Noah because it's he's the creator of the universe and the creator of the universe is born and he's laid in a uh, a manger a feeding a feeding trough for animals uh, and the name Bethlehem means house of bread it's the town of King David it's also the place in Bethlehem is where the lambs are born and raised for the sacrifice of the temple. Also, in, the, in that proximity in Bethlehem, they also prepare the lambs that would be sacrificed for Passover. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. The swaddling clothes that she wrapped him in is, is the same swaddling clothes made of wool and they wrap, they wrap up the lambs that will be prepared for the Passover. They would wrap them up and set them aside. So the swaddling clothes that they gave him is lamb's clothes, lamb's cloth, uh, cloth made of wool, and they wrapped him up. Think about it. He himself is the lamb of God. And he will take away the sins of the world. And he was laid in down in a feeding trough where they feed to he's the bread of life now in a tomb he was wrapped in a shroud the shroud itself would have been made of either cotton wool or made from linen linen is like a plant a cousin to cotton and they would wrap him, they would wrap him up he was wrapped up in the same way he was wrapped up as a baby and he was laid in a tomb that no one has ever been laid in you have to look at the similarities there virgin womb virgin tomb a virgin grave and jesus christ will be the firstborn of the dead the first one to rise up again he would, he's the first of the resurrection. So, you see the similarities. And of course, this grave has to be outside the walls of Jerusalem. No one's allowed to be buried within the city walls. All the grave is outside the city walls. So, the tomb of the Holy Sepulchre was once beyond the city walls. Later on in the future, the Caesars built the walls around the city. And it happened several times, even when the, the Byzantine came along and then the Arab Muslims came along and then the Turks came along and the walls were constantly extended. So if anyone tries to find the place of Golgotha and the Garden Gethsemane, I mean the Garden Tomb, the garden tomb is just a block away. It's right there. Because remember, it says nearby is a, gar a tomb in a garden. It probably was a place where they made, made wine and, and uh, olive oil. It pressed olive oil. So the walls extended around it. They're always trying to point out to what looks what they think is a garden tomb. But it's it, the point is you got to remember the walls of Jerusalem changed under several different empires. So you're so if you're looking for it, it's it's now inside the city walls, not outside anymore. So the fact is that what we have here is is a sign. Okay. They walked in and they found his uh, burial cloth. They found the burial cloth. When they arrived at the tomb first, um, when Peter arrived at the tomb first, he bent down and saw the burial cloth there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived, um, 
Okay, I'm sorry. It was not Simon Peter. It was John the Apostle arrived first. Forgive me. And at the tomb, he bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. Simon Peter arrived after him. He went into the tomb, saw the burial cloth there, and the cloth that had covered his head. There's a separate cloth that they covered his head. Before they took him down, they covered his face. They wrapped up a cloth around his face. It was not considered decent to look at the, to stare at the face of a dead person uh, in Judaism. All right. Not with him, not with the burial cloth, but in a rolled up in a separate place by itself. Now, why is this significant? If you've seen the movie Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, when the resurrection scene, the tomb was rolled away and the camera went over to the burial shroud and the burial shroud is deflating like an empty balloon. And the what it was is that the body disappeared. This was what puzzled them. The body was taken out without unwrapping his burial cloth. It was like a deflated balloon, like an empty skin. It's like if you're, you know, you know, it's like um, those figures, those uh, blow up doll figures of a person, and suddenly, like it just deflates and it empties. It's that's what it was. And the how did the body disappear without unwrapping? And they left the cloth behind. Whenever like certain movies, they try to show a scene like this. What they do is they always show like the resurrection, like as though he's unwrapping himself. That's not what happened. If we're saying that Jesus Christ is God and we're saying that that he resurrected from the dead, the burial cloth was undisturbed. It was not unra- it was unwrapped. The body disappeared and left the cloth undisturbed. It was ne- and whoever did it, it puzzled them. How did they get the body out of the cloth without unwrapping the cloth? And how and, and one of the teases are that the wrappings around the face, how did you get it out of there without unwrapping the cloth? It was in a separate place, folded, rolled up neatly by itself. Something that basically teased them. It was like teasing them, giving them giving them a mystery to try to figure out that they couldn't figure out because it was impossible. Such an idea was ridiculously beyond them. How, you know, this was not something that they normally wrestled with. It was literally like Jesus was playing a game with them. The resurrected Christ did. It was a mystery, a mystery that was about to get unfolded even more. And it was about to find out that he rose again. Mary Magdalene, they would leave the tomb. Mary Magdalene would remain behind. And she would be the first one to encounter him alive. She was the first one to see the tomb empty. Well, there were the other women as well, but they probably didn't go in. And then she, she, as soon as they're gone, she would tell them that she saw the Lord. They wouldn't believe her. But he did wind up showing him, revealing himself to Simon, that Simon Peter. And then two more on the road to Emmaus would come back that they encountered the resurrected Lord. So this is, is a fantastic mystery, as you can see. You can imagine the arguments in the upper room. You can imagine this was beyond, it was impossible for them. There was no way in the world that this can be true. Who can rise from the dead? And why? And then Thomas would say, and why did he reveal himself to you and not to me? It was impossible to them. They couldn't wrestle with this on their minds until finally he'd appeared to them. And then he appeared to, and the other two said, we saw him. It was him. He appeared to them in a different, a different guy uh, appearance. He, they were blinded. They couldn't see it was Jesus. 
but it was Jesus. They were walking away from Jerusalem when they should be walking towards Jerusalem. You see, this was, this. think about it, this is what transformed them. Okay, the first, his first birth, as Fulton Sheen says, the cross, the, his death was hanging over him. If you look at all the icons, the image of him wrapped up in swaddling clothes was an exact prediction of his burial in the tomb. He was born inside a cave. Right? And he would later on be buried in a cave. Bethlehem is just right outside Jerusalem. You can see Bethlehem down the road. And from Jerusalem, if you just, I mean, from Bethlehem, you can see Bethlehem just right down the road from Jerusalem. And from Bethlehem, you can see the city of Jerusalem. If you if you find a spot high enough, you can see the Dome of the Rock. Practically, Bethlehem is Jerusalem. It's the city of David. And he was right there within proximity. Within proximity. And the first ones to give him praise were the shepherds. The wise men would not show up until two years later. And I think now when you look at the term two years, under two years of age, two is for the second person of the Trinity, the word incarnate. Okay. And the the other fact we got to remember is that the light the star that moved, in my opinion, it was probably the Holy Spirit. Because think about it. They, they follow the star and then they were told in the dream not to go back to Herod. Just as Joseph had the angel speak to him in the dream, this was all, and just as Mary conceived in her womb, the second person of the Trinity, it's the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. It's pretty fantastic. It's awesome. All right, let's move on from there. Now this is going to be December 28th, which is the Holy, the, um, the Holy Innocent Martyrs. Okay? So I'm just going to go right into the reading here. First reading is from the first letter of St. John, chapter 1, verse 5 to 22. The blood of his Son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, this is the message that we have heard from Jesus Christ and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we continue to walk in darkness, we lie and do not act in truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son, Jesus, Christ, Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My children, I am writing this to you so that you may not commit sin. But if anyone does sin, we have, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is expiation for our sins and do not, and not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's not a word we like to hear. Is it? We don't hear the word sin. Um, we don't hear the word sin mentioned 
a lot from the pulpit. We don't hear a lot of priests, a lot of bishops. They don't like, they don't, they, they're uncomfortable using the word sin because our society doesn't like that word. It's, um, sadly, it's, uh, this is an impediment in our society. You know, nobody likes to feel guilty. Uh, nobody likes to be triggered. That's the new word now, triggered. But let me just say this, all right? I like the fact that G.K. Chesterton said this. Everybody goes to psychiatrists and therapists and they spend thousands of dollars uh, going to therapy. When it's easier that you just go to a priest and go to confession where it doesn't cost you any material money except the time, the footwork, on you know the getting there on foot and he's right i mean i i've said i probably told this before in a a podcast i think it was probably fulton sheen who said this um a friend priest of his it might have been another priest or something went to um one of those new york parties on fifth avenue madison avenue park and park avenue one of those places and in the party, uh, he's, you know, he's a priest and he's talking to a man and the man turns out to be a psychiatrist or a therapist, one of those people. And, you know, the priest wants to associate, he wants to be accepted. You know, we're in the same business, you and I, we help people. And the, the psychiatrist, therapist, slash whatever he is, said, uh, I don't think so, Father, we're not the same. He goes, no, no, we are. We both, are. our job is people. We, we focus on people. We try to help them. And the therapist had to insist, no. He goes, well, why do you say that? You know, because I'm, I'm a priest. And he said, Father, when they come to you, they come to you ready to own up what they have done wrong, to admit that they have done wrong, to confess that they have done wrong. That is, that is very important. But when they come to me, I get paid to listen to their garbage. They don't admit they've done wrong. They blame their mother and father. They blame their childhood. They blame their spouse. They blame their job. They blame society. They blame the whole world. And I have to listen to it from 80 to 120 to $200 an hour. And they walk away unhappy as they did before. And they come back again. And we, I got to do the same thing with them. He said, but with you, they admit that they're in the wrong that they have sinned and they own it and they're ready to do the penance and to try to make amends for it. That is the difference. Of course, I have to say, honestly, that was probably a little bit different years ago because it was probably the 1950s. But now our priests act like psychiatrists. And the people, if you ever go to confession, They sit there for a long time and you're waiting out there for your turn and they, and they treat the confessional like if it's therapy, it's not therapy. You, the only way it's going to work if you admit you're wrong, you admit you're wrong. You have to admit that you have to detach yourself from it, detach yourself emotionally I know it's hard. People don't like to do that. But that's the only way. You can't sit there and... Tr- and, and, and you, it's unfair for the people outside, by the way, who made the time and may not ever... And, and maybe they're, they're short on time and they got to go back, maybe take care of some other chores, but they're making the time to go confess their sins. It's unfair for them. It's selfish. Okay? On the part of the person who's turning it into a therapy. And I have to say the fault is more on the priest than the penitent because they just don't know how to say no to people. You have to just, you have to 
the only way this is going to work is that the only way you're going to get the proper graces from it is that you have to first pray and confess your sins. The priest doesn't have to hear the details. He doesn't have to hear how many times you did it. He doesn't have to hear the details, the, the, nitty, the nitty gritty details about it. He's not, he's not interested in that. And plus also it's wrong. You just simply have to say how many times you committed the sin. Now, if he asks you, why do you think you keep repeating the sin? Be honest. All right? Maybe it's your phone. Maybe you're looking at too many porn. Maybe the fact that you like it and you don't know how to stop it. All right? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you got a couple of magazines hidden here and there. Maybe, you've, maybe you, um, you're lying and you stole money from your grandmother's purse and you just don't, you know, you just don't, you know, you're compulsive. All you got to do is say how many times you did it. But if, you, if you're going to be sitting there and then you talk about how, how this makes you feel, guess what? You're not confessing it. You're making excuses. You're being self-centered. You're focusing on yourself. Confession of sin is confession of sin. Nobody cares how you feel. Sin doesn't care how you feel. Okay? You're, 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 already, full, you're already making excuses. All right? You don't ever heard our Lord say to the, to the apostles, Simon, Peter, Andrew, John, how do my words make you feel? You'll never hear that in the Gospels. This is all a modernist construct. And basically, it's a distraction from getting better. Okay, it's a distraction from getting better. It's a distraction from improving. Because when we start talking about our feelings and not, and not, and not the sin, the actual problem, the source, the real source of the whole problem, then you're not getting better. You have to tackle the sin. Forget your feelings. It's abstract. It, it doesn't matter. You're going to commit the sin whether you are aware of it or not. The point is you got to, you know, whether, you know, whatever excuses you make, you're committing the sin. You have to find the source of the problem and you got to nip it in the butt. All right. Whatever it is, you could talk about how many, you know, you know, you get you get very hungry and you start you, you start uh, just going crazy eating when you know you shouldn't be eating it because you get nervous and because I feel uh, I feel I need comfort food. No. You don't want to admit to the fact that you got a problem. That's what we have to face. All right, let's move on from there. Okay, now we'll get to the gospel. Alleluia, alleluia. We praise you, O God. We acclaim you as Lord. The white-robed army of martyrs praise you. Alleluia, alleluia. He ordered the massacre of all boys in Bethlehem. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 2, verse 13 to 18. When the Magi had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod, that what the Lord has said through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been deceived by the Magi, he became furious. He ordered the massacre, massacre of all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, and its vicinity, two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had ascertained from the Magi, that then was fulfilled what had been said through Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and loud lamentation, 
Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be consoled since they were no more. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll go back a little bit to Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read the whole thing. All right. Math, uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 2. Wise men render homage to the Messiah. After Jesus had been born in Bethlehem of Judea during the reign of King Herod, wise men traveled from the east and arrived in Jerusalem, inquiring, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw the rising of his star, and we have come to pay him homage. On hearing about their journey, their inquiry, King Herod was greatly troubled, as was true of the whole of Jerusalem. Therefore he summoned all the chief priests and the scribes, and questioned them about where the Christ was to be born. They replied, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus has the prophet written, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod secretly summoned the wise men, and he ascertained from them the exact time of the star's appearance, after which he sent them on to Bethlehem, saying, Go forth and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word so that I can go and pay him homage. After receiving these instructions from the king, the wise men set out, and behold the star that they had seen at its rising proceeded ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with great joy. And when they entered the house, they beheld the child with Mary his mother. Falling to their knees, they paid him homage. Then they opened their treasures, the treasure chests, and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And since they had been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another route. After the wise men had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and instructed him, Arise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. Herod seeks the child to kill him. Therefore he got up, took the child and his mother, and departed that night for Egypt, where they remained until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that the wise men had deceived him, he flew into a rage and issued an order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area who were two years old or less in accordance with the information that he had obtained from the wise men. Thus was fulfilled the words that had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamenting and sobbing bitterly, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be consoled because they were no more. After the death of Herod, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and his mother. And go to the land of Israel, for those who sought to kill the child are dead. He got up, 
took the child and his mother and returned to the land of Israel. But when Joseph learned that Archelaus had succeeded his father Herod in Judea, he was afraid to go there. After he had been warned in a dream concerning this, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. He settled in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this, this incident, of course, is questioned by a lot of scholars. They love to question whether this happened. But if you look at Herod the Great's track record, it's definitely within his pathological nature. And yet this is the guy who built the temple the great temple in Jerusalem that Jesus knew, the the place where, even to this day, the walls, the wall where uh, many of the of the Jewish people pray, the platform, that, that platform where the Dome of the Rock sits, I've been there. That platform is still there. Unbelievable. A remarkable engineering architectural engineering and it's not impossible that a man who can you know i mean herod herod uh hired the best architects and he wanted to make the temple something to be respected by the outside world by the the gentiles by the romans and the greeks he himself is Jewish, but he was not ethnically Jewish. He came from the line of Esau. He was an Edomite, an Arab. And he was the closest relatives, the Edomites, the sons of Esau, were the closest relatives to the Jews. They converted to Judaism, some of them long before, I would say, the Maccabeans. I don't think it's fair to say that it was the Maccabeans alone, but I think the Maccabeans put the, the seal on them most definitely like forced them uh during that time because of the side that the, uh, which side the the edomites took but they 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 converted most definitely herod um got to be uh, the title king um um you know, he was, he got his position as, as um, king. He went to Mark Anthony, I think, supposedly. During that time, Mark Anthony and Octavius uh, both um, kind of shared the position of, uh, they were both like the, the age of two Caesars. And I think it was Mark Anthony who gave Herod, he paid, he paid to be king. He gave a tribute. He bought it. And and he got the title, and he this I think this later on would be used against Mark Anthony, uh, against him. There's a lot of like uncertainty, but it but most definitely he did, uh, because he chose Mark Anthony's side over Octavius, and I remember according I think Josephus has a part where Cleopatra wanted to kill Herod. Uh, for something he cheated her out of certain proceeds, I think because she Jericho was a place where it produced perfumes or something, and she wanted to kill him. She just wanted to, and Mark Anthony had to stop her. She couldn't stand the sight of him, but he of Herod. But she, he uh, he reminded her he was still useful to us as atrocious as he is. He survived Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And had to pay homage to Octavius, who became Augustus and Caesar of the whole empire. He decided that the temple that they had from the time of the Maccabees, and it was before it, was just not good enough. 
And so he wanted to make it more grand, more spectacular. And he did. He basically used the engineering and style of architecture of his day, which was the Hellenistic, the Roman Hellenistic style. The columns were Greek. He used Ionic and Corinthian columns. They've been found around the area. The courtyards of the, the plaza of the temple were all Roman or Greek mosaics. To this day, they're actually putting them through a computer and they can reconstruct it. Reconstruct it. And if you look at the columns and, 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 and the capitals, you'll see it. He wanted it to be something that was recognizable and, and not something strange to the Greeks and the Romans. He was criticized most likely by the Jews of his day because it didn't look Jewish enough probably, but it was still a magnificent temple. It followed the same floor plan of King Solomon. The courtyard where the money changers and the sellers of the animals was the courtyard of the Gentiles. When Jesus visited it and he trashed it and overturned the money changers, it was because it was in the courtyard of the Gentiles, preventing it from the Gentiles from getting close enough to, to see the, to see the, the worship service. <clears throat> That's why when he said, it is written, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. It was because it was in the courtyard of the Gentiles. Caiaphas and Annas and other, and other, the money changers and businessmen simply just didn't care. But going to the slaughter of the innocent, did he do it? Yes. This is a guy that killed some of his sons. Caesar Augustus said, you're better off being Herod's pig than being one of his own sons. Caesar had to rescue some of his sons or else there'll be no one there to run the house of Herod or to rule the land. When he died on his death, on his will, he planned, he's decided that certain men of Israel should be killed because he knew no one would mourn his death. So he wanted some tears shed, even if it wasn't for him. I believe it was his daughter that put an end to it, stopped it. Then he thought that uh, Mariamne, his wife, and some of his other sons were plotting against him. He killed his wife, Mariamne. He preserved her body in the pickle, jarrow, pickle barrel down at the basement. He would visit it and talk to it. He was crazy. He was crazy. He was mad. Who knows, you know, but the fact is, this was probably events that happened near the end of his life. And then this event of the wise men um, who were most likely Jews. I think this whole idea that they were not because the fact that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh showed that they knew. They even knew that he would be the newborn king of the Jews. He, they knew he would be the Messiah. It couldn't have been Gentiles who, didn't, who, who had no understanding of this. They understood that the significance, they understood the they understood that he had to be born in the land of Israel. And they knew and they knew what they were looking for. Herod acquired of his of his men. And he himself most likely had some some warning, some dread about this, somehow, because there's a prophecy in Deuteronomy, I believe it is. A star shall rise from Jacob. And in those days, Adam's reign will come to an end. He is an Edomite. This thing of a star probably was something that he, he dreaded. It probably frightened the heck out of him. If he didn't think about it back then, in his pathological mind, it probably made things even worse for him. It probably added to the thought of losing his kingdom and ordering the death of the holy innocents. Now, 
they, the whole idea of these men coming there and disturbing all of Jerusalem probably added to his pathological mind. You know, prophecy, newborn king, house of David, the kingdom I built for myself. There's a scene in Jesus of Nazareth. Um, Peter Ustinov plays it, played it beautifully. This is my world. I built it. Mine. I will not have it being taken away by some newborn babe. I will, uh, you know, uh, you, you know what is a sign of a true, true king in face of joyous prophecy? You know, you you crush it. You crush it as soon as you hear, you, know, you hear it, like a you're underfoot, like a newborn scorpion. This is my world. I will not lose it. Think about it. What in his mind it went through. But Herod is also a picture of all the Herods, the political Herods in our day. All the politicians who support abortion. This is basically a prophecy of abortion. You can see it as that. Two years of age? I mean, is it is it are, is it really that impossible? You have a kid born. As soon as it's born, they want to put him, kill him. Kill a baby boy and girl. Is you know, as soon as it's born out of the womb, you're not safe. Heck, even if you're 93 years 93 years old, I just heard from my mom, Barbara Walters passed away at 93. Think about it. At old age now, youth uh they 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 put you to death, they give you a pill. Death is it has become a political thing. The idea of Overpopulation is not it. It's power over people. It's not about saving the planet. It's power over people. It's power over people, you know, over people to rule them, to control the population so you can rule over them so they would not rise up against you. For him, it was to keep a world that he fought hard, that he schemed. And, and the fact that he did do this, that he even feared his own family, he feared his own sons, he feared his wife. He married into the Maccabean family, he married into the Hasmonean dynasty. His wife, Mariamne, Herod the Great, his wife, Mariamne, was of the line of Aaron, she was a Levite. He had her brother killed. They went on a trip to the Jordan River or, you know, by the, you know, by a river. And supposedly while her brother was swimming, he mysteriously drowned. Some say that Herod had some men drowned him hiding in the water. Is it, it's not impossible. He had this hanging over his head. You know, it's not impossible. Just because it's not recorded in, in, in any of the books is not impossible. It's just, the fact is, take all the, the, the genocide he committed. Take any murder. And also, how many of the kids probably survived? Think about it. A kid is born unnoticed. A, a baby boy is born in, in, in a province of Judea in a little tiny village that probably had Oh, depending on the population and everything and, and child mortality rate, you're lucky if that village even had 200 people. It would probably, 200 would be above average, right? It was nearby uh, Jerusalem. And how many kids survived child mortality rate, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's you know, you got you to gotta figure that out. It couldn't be that many. And... It's, it's just like they're not, it's not something that an empire would notice. No one would notice this, especially if they're poor people. And the fact that he, he ordered it, 
we still remember because we because he survived. Jesus survived. Mary and Joseph survived. We know that this happened because they survived. And because he is the promised Messiah. They were the first martyrs. They were the first in a long line of Christian martyrs. They were baptized in blood. We live in an age of death because people have no hope. And that's what the Christian faith is. It's hope. All right, I'm going to end it here. And uh, there's a lot we could say about this, but it'll be too much. All right, let's, uh, let's see what we have. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets, I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, Archangel of God, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wild and wicked attacks of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And now, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. <clears throat> our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Let's uh, remember to say a prayer for uh, Pope Benedict Emeritus. Uh, Pope Francis said to pray for him. So far, we hear that he's stable and he's lucid, but we should continue to pray for him. Um, he's an old man and he is uh, a pope. And we should pray for Pope Francis as well. Keep him in our prayers because um, that's another thing. We have to um, stop listening to the division. Stop listening to all the, uh, the different camps. And we have to pray. Our call is to be saints. There are, we don't have to agree 
with everything a pope said, but to speak badly and to um, to criticize and to uh, call a person brood of vipers or anything like that is wrong. We need to be holy and stay holy. And it's true, we have problems. But our Lord Jesus Christ knows we have problems. God knows we have problems. But we are he willed us to be born in the time that we're born in because he wants us to be holy. He wants us to participate in his holiness, to become saints. He wants us to be saints. So let's remember that, okay? All right, let's end it here.